0: you're not there to manipulate people into spending money you're there to match the perfect people to the perfect product and to make a profit in the meantime and that gets quite addictive
1: Welcome, closers. Today, we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. Season one, focused on marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actionable insights to help you grow your property management empire. Whether you manage a hundred or a thousand doors, this is the show that's going to help you see the big picture and get to the next level.
0: I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. We Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought.
1: Think about it. Today, we're going to be talking to Amy Harrison, one of my favorite marketers because of the creativity she infuses into what she does. Amy, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. So, Amy, right out of the gate let's just let's just start here. What is copywriting? Can you just define what exactly that is?
0: I can copywriting is different to regular writing, and the definition that I have is that the majority of writing is there to instruct you know it gives information It's informational writing, so if you have a website. That kind of information is who you are, what you do, how you do it. Now, copywriting is very specific in that it might have those elements, it might have that information. But what you really want to do with copywriting is you are persuading someone to think a certain way, to take a certain action. You're, you're writing in order to compel them to do something. Um, so, for example, if you've got a website, your copy is usually there to persuade them to get in touch with you, to call your phone, to sign up for your newsletter, to do business with you, to to click that buy button. And so it it, it is informational, it's instructional, but it has a very specific end purpose. You want someone at the end of reading your piece of copy to want to take some kind of next action.
1: Okay, so we all speak English, we all are familiar with using words, Part of the differentiation you're saying is the end goal in mind. Where in your mind does copywriting fit in kind of the hierarchy or marketing? If I'm a small running a, a mid-sized property management business, I have somebody else that maybe helps me on an ad hoc basis with marketing, maybe I'm an agency I work with. But most of the marketing I'm worrying about myself, is copywriting really something I should be worrying about? I mean, at what point does it become relevant as opposed to thinking about running a a ppc campaign or doing seo etc where does it fit in the hierarchy well basically your copy underpins all of those things wherever you are using content
0: to try and sell promote encourage people to get in touch you are inadvertently using copywriting because it is whether it's a ppc campaign whether it's sending out an email blast if you think about it all those pieces they're not there to just tell people about you. They're there to tell people about you and then make them want to get in touch with you. So it your copy is actually your first starting point. Before you do any kind of marketing, you want to be thinking about, um, you know, what What are our, what are the key things that we can include that makes us attractive to someone? If we're emailing this group of people of um, of prospects, um, what's the offer? And how can we present it in a way that seems credible, that seems attractive, that um, seems easy to take part in? How can we reduce friction? How can we make things really, really clear? It doesn't matter what you're doing. Anytime you're using writing, In terms of that marketing, you're using copywriting. And what I've found uh, speaking to people is that they start to understand the importance of copywriting when they start to scale. So I've spoken to um, a few property management companies, and they say that they really notice it when they can no longer justify the time of selling face to face the whole time. You know, they don't have time to answer every phone call and go through that sales pitch when they realize that they could be doing that online and in different versions. So basically taking that, taking what they would do in a sales conversation and putting that into content.
1: So let's put some some action behind this. Put some meat on the bone for a property manager. What are the categories of of messaging that are relevant? Like when you just you're starting at square one, what do you think are the key critical issues or themes that a property management needs to to communicate clearly on?
0: So it's. There's going to be similarities, there's going to be differences to to every business. So a good place to start if you're not sure maybe what's unique to you is to look at what are the questions that you constantly get from prospects? Um, What are the questions that you're constantly answering um, over the phone or in person? Because these are key selling steps. So if you have, so for example, uh, I would I know that a lot of the questions are around how quickly am I going to get tenants and how do I know those tenants are going to be, you know, aren't going to wreck my property? Um, how do I know they're going to pay on time? And if they don't pay on time, what happens then? Is that something that I need to worry about? Um, and quite often, the the these get missed out of the marketing. These are omitted in a lot of content because we're used to having these person to person conversations. And to us, these, these things seem, we have an answer for them. You know, we, they seem obvious to us, um, but to your prospect, these are real concerns and they're very important and they don't necessarily know how you're going to handle those concerns.
1: One of the key positioning issues that I see coming up over and over again for property management companies is is focusing on FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and addressing the issues that you just brought up by painting a picture of, well – you own a property, but if you're managing it yourself, did you know that your tenant could get in the unit and destroy your house or electrocute themselves while replacing a fan and sue you, et cetera, et cetera? What's your overall take on using fear, uncertainty, doubt as a positioning angle? How do you relate to that or think about that? So it can be, it can be very effective because
0: we are more motivated by the risk of losing something than gaining something. So, uh, you know, the idea of having our property wrecked is could be a lot more evocative and emotionally um, provocative than saying we will get you tenants. Um, the what I would say is that the the danger there is that you can fall into scaremongering, and right. if if you start making claims which sound or which don't have as much credibility, if people feel that you're doing that just to frighten them, and we've all seen advertising that does this, it's like if you don't choose our product, choose our service, you will lose your job, you will be living under a bridge, and your wife and kids will leave you. We see it, we don't like it, because we don't feel like that person's on our side. We feel like there's all you can – almost fall into a position of being combative. It's like, do this or else. And so what you need to do is you need to take a stance of of being an, uh, being an expert, being an educational expert who is on their side. So, for example, by saying, look, you know, if you're managing your own property, there are some risks that you may not know about. Now, these risks are this, this and this. That's a great place to start to get their attention, but you don't want to leave it there. And also, if you then, if the next step is, so use us, that can feel a little bit uh, inauthentic and we suddenly turn off because it's like, well, I-, I can see that you have set this up in order to set up the sale. However, if you take a step and say, um, you know you if you put it in, if you put in a tenant and you don't screen them properly, there is risk. they may not pay, they may not do this, et cetera, et cetera so that's why it's really important, and what we' found in our experience is that uh, you know the best tenants come from doing this type of screening, making sure that you have a really good rent collection thing in process um, and explaining that yeah and this is something that you could do. Or you could hand it over to us because we have processes in place that does all of these things. That way, you're positioning yourself as a partner and someone who is saying, you may not have realized about these risks. They do exist. There are ways to mitigate those risks, and you can do them yourselves, but we can probably do it a lot better, a lot easier, faster, and cheaper for you.
1: I love how you reframed that. What we're talking about is communication. What we're talking about is recognizing that printed words have the equivalency of the transmission of ideas and thoughts, same things with spoken words. And so towards that end, Amy, I want to work through an offer. This is a very, very common offer. This is this is the most ubiquitous offer that our clients put on their website. And that is the offer for the free rental market analysis. And I want to pitch you this offer in the context of how 99% of property management companies do so on their website. All right, so are, are you ready? I'm going to go ahead and pitch you. Free rental market analysis. Yeah.
0: Do you know what? I woke up and I wanted three of those this morning. I can't believe you've just, you've just offered
1: me. A- complete the fo- Complete the form below to find out what your home will rent for. Name, email, address.
0: Yes. And I've seen this a lot and what I, what i would say is that just because it's everywhere doesn't always make it a bad thing if it is working for you if it is getting leads then that's fine but if it is everywhere there is a chance to test something new. There is a chance to try something different to stand out.
1: I'm with you. I mean, it's, it's ubiquitous because it is a highly relevant felt need for consumers. So I think people have rightly identified the fact that if you're thinking about renting out your home, you would like to know what that outcome could look like. The question is, just like you said, how can we actually flesh that out? How can we turn that from Four words, get your free rental analysis into what What would that need to look like in order to actually effectively communicate this idea of uh, telling people what's behind the black box of, of renting their home? Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things that I always encourage people to do is to when you're making any
0: kind of offer, um, extend that. And put yourself in the in your in your customer's shoes, and ask yourself what is the impact of that offer? How does that affect their life? Um, and then pairing that into two to, into two different paths, I like to say, okay, look at the impact of that from a point of loss and from, from a point of gain. So, free rental analysis. So, if you have a free rental analysis. What is the impact of that in terms of loss? It could be that if you don't analyze your rent, you could be losing out. Now, obviously, you could get even more specific and you could say, um, you know, how do you know that landlords in your area aren't earning a lot more than you are? How do you know that your property is not on the market empty because you're renting it? You try, you're asking for too much and it's something that the market won't bear. This. You start pinning these things down. You start asking yourself these questions, and suddenly you come up with information that you don't start to see everywhere. And putting in this extra effort comes across because people think, "Hang on, this is this is a little bit more information than I was expecting." Everyone's offering this free rental analysis, but maybe as part of that free rental analysis, it includes I don't know, uh, potential tax breaks or a a potential profit analysis, or um, because I know that different ones offer different things. So it's I, I, I would I would have it if it's working, but I would then test it against something that looks more along those lines of impact. What can be gained and what could be lost by what can be lost by not knowing this information? What could be gained by knowing this information?
1: So I think it's important to delineate between the fact that we're not talking about the good, right? The good itself is an operational issue and neither you or I are going to lecture a property management company about how to necessarily facilitate the offer. But we are talking about how the good is sold and how the good is sold is the offer and the positioning of the offer. What Amy is saying is beefing up what people are going to get when they opt in and accept that offer, the offer for a rental price analysis, that's the opportunity. And for some reason, It tends to be massively, massively neglected. There's an implicit assumption that by reading the words, get your free rental analysis, people somehow have a mental picture of what they what that is. They don't unless you sell it. There's no motivation to fill out the form. Amy, my next question for you is, if somebody buys into the idea of words, communication, copywriting, mattering, would you be more inclined to tell them to start up funnel, meaning, uh, let's say with an, an ebook, uh, marketing, visibility, lead gen sorts of things, or down funnel, maybe focusing on sales collateral, etc. Where would you start if you had to pick one?
0: I would start at the earliest point of contact because so things like your um, landing pages your website uh, lead generation because you want to it, it, it's no point in working down funnel if all the copy uh, prior to that stinks <laughs> um, and that sounds obvious yeah. But sometimes the sometimes some of the down funnel things can seem a little bit more exciting and interesting, you know, especially when you talk about conversions and being able to test things. But if you're not getting that uptake, if you're not getting those conversions from the minute that they have that first point of contact with you, then you're 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 going to constantly have to retrofit your copy and you're, you're not going to get the the best information from the, the, your analytics that you're getting. So think about, you know, where is someone first going to land with you? Where is that first point of contact? Is it, uh, is it a PPC campaign? So is it your, um, is it your advert? Is it a particular landing page and work on those? Now, when you start to get, people going through that. And you can see this is working. We're getting them to the next stage. Then you build and you build and you build and you can constantly adjust. If you try and do too much or, you know, plan out a a really complicated, lengthy campaign, then it can be hard to spot the leaks. And it can be hard to say, well, is it because they don't like the offer? Or is it because the headline's not working? Or is it, you know, so you want to sort of do it incrementally and build brick by brick from that first point of contact.
1: So the first point of contact sets the tone, sets the expectations. And like you said, what's the point in filling up a leaky bucket? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. So uh, Amy, talk to me about your kind of progression of learning about this. Did you start with a, a writing background? Did you start with a marketing background? How did you get to be so passionate about effective copywriting?
0: I did start with a writing background. Originally, I trained to be a screenwriter for film and TV. That was going to be, I spent three years, I convinced my my parents, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to be, until the end of that three years, and I decided that was absolutely the last thing I wanted to do <laughs> with my life. Um, and so I had this, I had a degree and studied storytelling for three years, and then I I wanted to do something completely different. And I actually ended up working for a small group of private investors that were buying and selling online businesses. Mm-hmm. And I worked as a kind of a project manager. So I was working with the design development team. So my the, the investors would go out, they'd buy a business, and then we would look at it and we would completely transform it to make it attractive to investment. And we would study the business model, and then we would look at how do we present this so that it is attractive to investment. Um, and that was when I first started seeing the blend between – you know, content and what content can do between the sales brochures we had, online web content, landing pages that we were creating, um, and how that translated into making money and making sales. Um, So after doing that for a few years, I really wanted to start working on my own project. And I just started out back in 2008. I just I wanted to go back to writing. So I started out just content writing. So this was back in the day where people just wanted articles for their site as long as it had a ton of keywords in. Um, And so I started doing that. And then I realized that I would be much more valuable to clients if my writing wasn't just informational but could persuade people to buy so and, and I just and just got fascinated by the sales psychology of it. And um, I remember one of my first early clients, years and years ago, it was my first big long form sales letter and it was for a weekend course, pretty high ticket, and it was the highest I'd ever personally charged to write and I think it made something like $40,000, uh, or 40,000 pounds in just a couple of days. Like it completely sold out. And it was a real buzz to see that happen because people were buying on the strength of the information that they saw on the page. And when you know that the words that you're writing aren't just there to, you know, you're not there to manipulate people into spending money. You're there to match the perfect people to the perfect product and to make a profit in the meantime. And that gets, that gets quite addictive.
1: Love it. Awesome. As you've kind of gone on this journey, you've obviously developed your personal brand voice. I've been to your website, and guys, if you haven't, you should check it out, at HarrisonAmy.com. And right out of the gate, i got to ask, why is that backwards? Why is it HarrisonAmy? Because
0: back back in the day, Amy Harrison was gone, and until I track this lady down and kill her and steal her website, it's it's just kind of stuck. It's just kind of stuck. It is what it is. Yeah, It, it, it is. Like it's just it's there. It's kind of done. I will probably and it's funny because I my what I do and the work that I do has evolved so much, and my website never kind of fully catches up. Um, because I do, I do a lot more that's not on the site and do a lot of teaching and speaking. And so also Harrison Amy, yes, it's back to front. And I wasn't, when I first started, like I say, my whole thing was just, will someone pay me to write? Um, so I didn't have a particular domain that I knew I was going to focus on. I also have, um, uh, an online course and that's under writewithinfluence.com, which makes a little bit more sense than HarrisonAmy.com.
1: Okay. In either case, I would say check out both right with influence, but also com is great. And one of the things that somebody would figure out really quickly about where you're coming from, what you're doing, your beliefs with brand positioning, et cetera, is that you have embraced humor. And one of the reasons that that's so interesting to me is that if you go on YouTube, you see people making silly videos and it's all the rage and it is what it is. But You're clearly doing this in a commercial context. I would dare to say that when somebody goes to your website and watches some of these videos, there are probably some folks that think, boy, you know, some of this stuff is a little bit silly. I didn't know that you could actually be this silly and make people laugh in the context of of doing business. Can you walk me through kind of the psychology of humor, brand personality, and the importance that that plays in marketing? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, uh, I think I started doing the videos back in about 2013, and it was it was my personal backlash to. I spent a lot of time in the online marketing world, and I was getting really tired of all these super polished videos that usually had it was someone in an exotic location, and it was basically everything is brilliant in my business, and you can learn from me. And it and it was more sort of what. <laughs> It was kind of what I would call personality marketing. It was like, yeah. do business with me because you want to be my friend because I look really, really cool. And I knew that I knew my stuff. I knew that the, the, the my work was good, but I didn't take myself seriously. So I take what I do very seriously and what I do for clients. And so I wanted to kind of uh, put these two things together because I do – I, I humor is very important to me, um, but I didn't want to undermine what I did. And I. so there was a bit of a risk there. you know, would would the industry respond to this? Would they think that it was silly? But one of the things that I always do is that I am not undermining my ability to write copy, which is why all of the lessons are very, um, you know, I have people that say I've learned so much. And not only have I learned so much, but because it was funny I remember it. Like I, I now, whenever I use an exclamation mark, I think of that video or whenever I am trying to put fear or whatever into copy, I think of this video and it's just, it's worked really well for me because it, it is, it's very much my personality. So when people approach me, if they've seen the videos, they do feel like they, they know me and they feel a little bit more invested in working with me. But also in terms of, um, in terms of getting exposure people are more likely to share the videos because it's not a straight sell and it's not straight instructional. So I will have people watch them that'll be on the periphery of my audience, but they will have it sent to them by a friend who said, look, just watch this because it's like two minutes long and it's a little bit different and it's quite funny. And so that has worked really well. Now, humor is is a personal thing. I don't think it's something that you can necessarily manufacture. You have to be comfortable with it but you can absolutely put it into your brand and into your marketing um, but what I would say is one of the tips is always you know don't don't make fun of your ability to do your job or sure. to do the work that you yeah. do and right. I have seen people do this and, and it's like yeah that that's funny but I, I don't want to hire a clown I want to hire someone who's really good at what they do and they just have a great sense of humor.
1: So the advice here is not to be funny or to use humor. The advice here is to actually be authentic and true to you. And that's something a lot of people don't do because they feel restrained. They feel like there's this need to present things in a very literal, rigid kind of terms to be professional. And I'm using air quotes here. That's what I'm hearing you saying is for you, it's funny. For somebody else, it's something different. But it's got to be human to human as opposed to human to corporate website.
0: Absolutely. And this is this is one of the things that I've said to clients in the past. Um, You know, I'll, I'll be looking at their website. And particularly if if you're in something like property management, you are you're not selling your services. You are selling you and you are selling the team behind the scenes. So I've worked with businesses in 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 sort of a similar setup where they're selling the team. And I look at their website and they've got a ton of stock photos of of people with headsets. And I will say to them, does that person work in your office? (laughs) No, it's a stock photo, right? Well, take it off, take it off, put photos of the people that work there because I, if I'm visiting your site and you can achieve, you know, obviously you can do this through design and through copy, but I really want to feel like I get to know you because anyone can put up a landing page. Anyone can put up a website. But not everyone has that confidence to reveal the personality behind that. And this is why I would say, uh, particularly if you are selling yourself, if you're selling your team, talk about the culture, talk about what's important to you, talk about why you got into the business, not from a point of view of, I really wanted to make money and business is great and we're really successful, but what is it about your customers that you enjoy helping? Because it takes a little bit of extra effort, but that makes the difference from of someone visiting your site and feeling like oh this is another property management firm and oh this is the property management firm that takes your company out for away days every couple of months you know Mm -hmm. and we don't trust businesses anymore we trust people and we want to do business with people
1: absolutely and to that end talk me through what a successful testimonial looks like as a property manager i have tenants that are clients and i have landlords that are clients what does it look like for me to construct an effective testimonial that is more than just two sentences of somebody saying wailer property management is is the best in business <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah um so this It's exactly it's exactly the opposite of that in that you want something to be specific. Um, And so when you're asking for testimonials, don't one, don't just get in touch with someone and saying, can you give us a testimonial? Because one, it will take them forever because then they have to think about what they want to write. So give them a bit of a structure. Um, and some good questions to ask are, you know, what situation were you in when you started looking for a property management firm? Uh, what hesitations did you have about hiring someone to look after your property? What made you choose us specifically? And then a couple of things that I like to ask is obviously, you know, what do you enjoy about working with us? But another one, which is good is, was there anything that surprised you about, working with us. Now, obviously, you're hoping that is going to be a pleasant surprise, but sometimes this can kick up things that um, th- that you just weren't expecting or that you took for granted, but that your customers really, really value. Uh, I remember seeing one testimonial that stuck out for me because it, it, it dealt with that emotional side of things. And someone was saying in a video, I hate confrontation. And so the idea that I don't have to deal with rent collection is really important to me. And I can guarantee you that there's a lot of landlords that can relate to that. You know, that stomach churning, oh, they've said that the checks in the mail, they said that they've paid it, but I'm looking at my account, nothing's gone in, what do I do now? That heart sink feeling. Um so those are really good questions because they also help you deal with, you know, some of those objections like, oh, well, I was worried that it January would be 1/28. an impersonal service or I was if worried that I would never be able to get in touch with them. And those hesitations are all things that you can deal with up your property because if you're seeing a lot of the same and kind of, of hesitations, and network with then other you want best to be upfront about how
1: you don't stay do on the bleeding things, edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM growth We truly bring in the best of the best and you can get your ticket now by going to www.pmgrowsummit.com and using the coupon code Jordan. That's J-O-R-D-A-N to get $100 off your ticket. See you there. Let's talk a little bit about the perspective that a small business owner should take on copywriting. Somebody's hearing what you're saying they get it to some degree, but it still feels an inaccessible, and their gut reaction is, "Ah, oh, I need to hire a professional to do that for me." Part of what I hear you saying is that at a gut level we 're talking about communication, you cannot outsource a vision for your business you you cannot you probably should not attempt to outsource your brand so there is some sense in which at a at a gut based level, you have to take ownership over the messaging for your company, but for some folks. They don't feel like that they have the writing ability as a specialist. If somebody was thinking about working with a specialist to help them with this, help me navigate through it. I'm a small business owner. I think copywriting is important. I want to find somebody to do I like on Fiverr? How does this work? How would I find somebody to help me with crafting the messaging on my marketing and sales materials?
0: That's a a really good question. There's a a few different avenues that you can take. Uh, One is referrals. So, you know, if you if you see someone with with good copy or if you not that you're going to copy their copy, but if they have worked with someone well, you know, that first hand referral is is going to be the best sort of best insight as to how someone in your industry worked with that person and what i would say is uh, a couple of things in terms of filtering copywriters is you want them initially out of the gate you want them asking a lot of questions they should be super curious uh, you don't want someone who is just going to say yeah i can do that you want them to ask well what is your business like what's your setup how does the model work where do people come from what marketing are you doing what's worked what hasn't worked these are the kind of questions that show you this is someone who's going to dig deep because um A lot of misconceptions about copywriting is that it is this mysterious art and we lock ourselves away in a turret and we wait for inspiration and boom, we've got these magic headlines that come out. And in fact, it's really, really dull work for some because it's a huge amount of research. It is. and And I'm constantly battling In a a good way with clients, because I will say, send me more, send me more, give me all that material. And they'll say, well, no, I don't, you know, you don't have to read all this. I want to read it. So you want a copywriter that from the outset is showing that level of curiosity in your business. And they should have, even at the inquiry stage, if you're getting on that first call with them, they should know about you and they should be asking questions specific to your industry even at that early stage, because it's not difficult to do, and it's pretty it's pretty standard practice. But if they're not asking those questions, if they don't show that they understand what property management is, if they haven't seen your website, then, you know, those are kind of red flags to me. Um, in terms of places to look, yes, you can go on Fiverr, People Per Hour, Odesk. I don't know if Odesk still exists. Um, someone was asking me about that the other day. Um, uh, they, You will find generally you will you're more likely to find content writers so people that will do articles blog posts content for you because copywriters that are um copywriters that have experience in sales sales psychology persuasion tactics they're not on those um sort of generic freelancer sites
1: just to be clear here a copywriter is not a blogger right we're not talking about the same thing
0: no your copywriter is is uh, but to confuse things um there are some copywriters that call themselves copywriters but do what I would call content writing so blogs and articles. As I mentioned like we said at the very start copywriting is about getting people to take action. So that copy should be measurable. Anything that they write should have some kind of persuasive effect with results that you can measure. Um there are a couple of sites there's A W A I online which I can't remember what it stands for. They have uh, a huge community of copywriters, and these people are steeped in sales copy. Uh, there's also a um, there's a site called Freelance Writers Den, and you will get a mixture there of between content and copywriters. But it, these are these are job. Um, job boards that are writing focused and online writing focused. So those are, those are pretty good places to sort of start scoping out people.
1: That's really helpful. Can you just give me one last reality check? Let's say I want to redo all of the copy on my website and my sales collateral. Could you just give me a – I know this is tough to do, but just super rough kind of ballpark range or at least give me a dollar figure that is like an absolute – Floor. I know, for example, when I talk to people about SEO, I tell folks that unless you're willing to spend around three grand a month, anything below three grand a month, you have to apply a lot more scrutiny because the likelihood of you hiring somebody that's doing shoddy work goes up dramatically, and that's kind of shocking to people to hear that it costs that much. What's the budget range for for copywriting?
0: So, and again, yeah, as as you say, this this really varies. But for example. Um, a sale, uh, we'll start with a sales page. Um, and because, and the reason why I say sales page is because you could equate this to basically like a brochure or, you know, like a, so, 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 or a simple, like what I'm talking about, like a long page sales page, long form sales page. Um, so you're looking at a few thousand words, anywhere between sort of maybe two, even that 5,000 words broken down into different sections that basically is just focused on selling everything that you do that, uh, I think in dollar amounts you want to, that, that can start around about $2,000. Um, and you would, you should, and you should get a kind of good amount. You don't want someone doing that cheaply. Now, the reason why some people think, but that sounds like a heck of a lot for just a few thousand words. But the reason being is that a sales page Um, as I said, copywriting underpins, um, all of the marketing that you're doing. If you have a really good sales page, you can take a lot of the content from that and put aspects of it into your homepage or into a landing page because the sales page is there to drive you from, if you were writing start to finish, if you were having a sales conversation, what elements would we include and how would we communicate those elements? Um, web copy, I, you know, I, I, I would say you, you for a handful of pages, you really don't want to be spending less than $1,000, $2,000 um, because, again, it comes down to that, that quality of if you're getting into the $10 an hour or hundreds of dollars, that, that person does not have the time to, re- to do all that heavy research up front that you need to do in order to really understand your business but also your
1: audience. Totally makes sense to me. So, Amy, I want to transition to going into some rapid-fire questions, and I want to start with this. Writing copy is communication. What is the number one discipline that you have practiced and that you would recommend for somebody to improve that critical muscle of communicating within their business via solid copywriting?
0: So, one habit that I encourage people to develop is impact. Impact. Everything that you write, don't just leave it there. Ask yourself, what is the impact of that? So uh, ask yourself, you know, we do this. And it comes down to three words, which means that? And then what is the impact on your customer's life? If you develop that habit, you will start talking in your customer's world. You know, you will start talking in a way that gets them to visualize what, uh, you know, what your service looks like in their life. For example, uh, we answer You know, I don't know, we answer, we return every phone call within 48 hours, which means that you can have one call to us and it's done. No more chasing, no more, no more hitting the answer phone, no more talking to receptionists, no more being fobbed off that I can understand. That makes sense to me. That has impact.
1: I love that framework. That's awesome. Second question is, who do you learn from?
0: So when I, when I first started off, one of the first books I bought was a guy called Bob Bly who is a fantastic copywriter. He's been around for years. He wrote a book called The Copywriter's Handbook, which is a really good starting point and an excellent, excellent starting resource. Very easy to read, uh, very easy to reference. I still have post-it notes sticking out from different pages of it. Um, Bob Bly is excellent. He also has a lot of B2B experience as well and does a lot of B2B um, copywriting advice. Dan Kennedy is someone that I love. Mm, he
1: yes.
0: is, and he's hardcore. He is hardcore sales. But if you get past that, if you can, he, he's abrasive, he's brusque, he's in your face, but he knows exactly what he's doing for the audience that he's trying to reach. And I have a ton of his stuff. So I love Dan Kennedy. Uh, I love Bob Bly. Um, i trying to think who else. I think th- those are the two that I, I really
1: started off and just absorbed. That's awesome. I love it. Huge fan of Dan Kennedy and his work. Final question of the day. Amy, if you could redo the copy for any website in the world, which would it be and why?
0: Oh my gosh, that's a toughie. I would be torn between like a high traffic disruptive model, something like Airbnb or Uber, simply because you could have so much fun playing around with the messaging. Um... Or alternatively, I would really not necessarily a specific website, but I would love to do something that is sort of entrenched in that boring, um, sort of standardized way of copywriting. For example, like insurance companies, you know, something where they're always saying the same thing uh, or investment companies where they're always saying the same thing. And they they just never they never they never move from that because they're too afraid of what might happen. But testing something new and testing something disruptive in messaging could be exactly what people are waiting to respond to. So not a specific website as such, but either a disruptive model or something so entrenched in tradition that you could test something disruptive and just see what happened.
1: I like it. Yeah, I like it. I'd love to see you do like the 404 page for a giant bank or some kind of yeah. corporate institution give you like, uh, executive control, right? Yeah. Somebody hits the 404 page and it's like a, a wild gif of somebody doing salsa bachata. Or yeah. Something and, it like would, and it
0: would have to, it would have to be something that never sort of went to legal. You know, it, just <laughs> wouldn't, it wouldn't get past.
1: Exactly. Well, Amy, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Where can listeners go to find out more about what you're doing and more to learn about what you had to say about copywriting and marketing?
0: Yeah, so my two main sites, the the online course is rightwithinfluence.com. HarrisonAmy.com is where the blog is. So I've got I am relaunching some new videos in a few months and I will be relaunching a podcast. But in the meantime, they will on HarrisonAmy.com will be the first place that you would find
1: out about those. Thanks again for coming on the show, Amy. We will be following what you're doing online. Wish you the best.
0: Brilliant. Thank you.